0: I'd like to welcome everyone to the Florence Weinberg Show. Frank McKay here with Dr. Florence Byam Weinberg, uh, the author of 15 books and a 16th on the way. She's the subject of a documentary, and she is our host each and every week uh, here on radio and on uh, podcast outlets. Uh, without further ado, Doc, how are you?
1: I'm doing fine. I'm, uh, I'm incredibly busy with... Uh, things that have propped up lately, but uh, uh, other than that, I'm doing great.
0: Listen, at 90 years old, to be busy on things that are <laughs> cropping up uh, is fantastic, and God bless you.
1: <laughs> yes, well, a lot of it has to do with church. Uh, I, I read the scripture, or rather, I had read the scripture for years, and uh, suddenly was cut off because of my age just dumped all of a sudden and so I uh, I put up with that for a little while and then uh, uh, I was asked to substitute for someone went up read and the uh, person who's now in charge of of readers uh, which are called lectors in church um, in charge of us uh, said how come you're not reading anymore (laughs) and I said (laughs) because the, the mass manager for the 11 o'clock mass thought I was too old and just dumped me. Wow. And, uh, and I, couldn't, I couldn't convince her to let me back in. And uh, so the now, new mass manager said, well, for heaven's sake, come to the meeting <laughs> uh, on Thursday at 2 in the afternoon and uh, uh, we'll uh, reinstate you. And so that's what I was doing this afternoon, and that's why I postponed this session. Um, and then, uh, when I saw that, uh, I went all the way across town in heavy traffic to get there. Found out that it had been postponed until six thirty tonight. So, um, so anyway, we're back on the air, yeah. so to speak.
0: Wonderful. <laughs> wonderful and uh and boy that's ageism i don't know what i don't know who they're going to get better to do a better job than you and uh did you tell her that you you host a weekly television show and uh i I mean a a radio show and podcast i mean uh for them to remove Uh, you uh, i hope they have somebody really good (laughs) yes i
1: told her all that but she said the reason was because i walk up to the ambo for the lecturing or podium it is really and uh uh, she was afraid. Of course, I had my hip replaced mm. uh, in April, and I was limping badly there for a while and used a cane until very recently, and I'm not now using a cane. Uh, but in any case, she thought I was too feeble or unsteady or mm. something to be trustworthy, and she didn't want me to fall in front of the congregation. That's mm. that's what her
0: excuse was. Maybe her, maybe her heart is in the right spot, but we'll— uh... Uh yeah, her her the, heart was of in the
1: Yeah. Yeah, her heart was in the right place. But um uh, but it uh it did bother me that uh I wasn't asked now that I'm able bodied and no more canes, no more nothing. Uh, uh it bothered me that I wasn't asked to come back. I think people just wrote me off because ninety is <laughs> is beyond most people's imagination. Jeez. uh to be competent that is.
0: Oh my God, but uh, listen! Uh, God bless you. I, you, could read in my church anytime, and uh, <laughs> uh, we should be so lucky. We should be so lucky to uh, to have you. But anyway, listen. Other than that, uh, th- things are good. It's good to be ninety and uh, and and be on air and and be writing uh, and you know getting getting to the point where you have a sixteenth book and uh, and and also uh, discussion on all kinds of subjects. From uh, from politics to uh, to to all kinds of things to uh, even insects. Uh, how's yeah, that for today? Uh, <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs> <So>. <laughs> wonderful. Yes, yes. Today my title is Insects, indispensable, <laughs> indispensable life companions. Wow. And I talk about myself here for a while and my experiences with insects, uh, the ones. Well, The reason why we kill them off, you know, we kill all of them, unfortunately, uh, although they are indispensable. Uh, uh, anyway, uh, I'll get right into it. Please. Um, I'm living now in Texas, have lived in practically all parts of the country and in Europe, um, but I've been here now for over 30 years and we have an unpredictable climate here in texas some years we have mild winters and only a day or two sub freezing uh, and sometimes we have a week of sub freezing weather and once or twice a century it snows this far south <laughs> and i'm in san antonio and we have pictures on walls of the time that it snowed back in i think uh, 1994. wow
0: Oh, my gosh.
1: Actually, it did snow um, in uh, February 2021, but it was not a beautiful deep snow. So uh, so there are a few pictures of that. Most people were struggling because uh, we had a t- Texas-wide blackout. Our, our electrical grid failed with uh, terrible consequences. People died frozen to death during that week. Anyhow, I'm not talking about that today. No. Um, On the other hand, other than the very mild winters we normally have, our summers are always very hot. And it used to be that the temperature topped 100 maybe (laughs) one or two days in uh, July or August. But this past summer it topped 100 for, I think, around 80 days and no rain. And so uh, much of our vegetation died of, for lack of water because we are also rationing our water very wisely, I must say. Yeah. And we used to have insects that abounded on my property, uh, but last summer only mosquitoes and wasps were there. And that, those insects took advantage of the ivy that's growing on my house walls to shelter from the heat and to profit from the watering I did for my foundation plants and my patio plants. And both, both of them attacked me, of course. <laughs> the mosquitoes, so that they could lay their eggs that uh, need blood somehow in the process, and wasps, because they thought they were defending their nest. Uh, I'm allergic to, to mosquito bites, and so that was a bother. And the wasp attack was a lonely warrior who flew straight at me at a distance of 24 feet and struck me right in the middle of my chest. And luckily for him, his aim was good. I stung through two layers of cloth, but the venom fell harmlessly because <laughs> he had stung the stretch of brazier that bridges the divide between breasts. And so he didn't reach my flesh with with his (laughs) venom. I I was very lucky, and he went back to his nest thinking he had done a great thing. Anyway, (laughs) I used candles at night to kill the mosquitoes rather than uh, spraying the ivy, and I did spray that wasp nest. Oddly, uh, very few flies were out during that period in my yard uh, where I just had my uh, dead grass replaced and of course it was killed during that eight, those 80 days the new grass was uh, I hadn't replanted any flowers so I saw no bees and no butterflies last summer I began to fret about the absence of bees and butterflies and decided to look into the matter and I found that uh, the absence is not just in my yard, but it is general, uh, and it is due to a lack of suitable habitat. Of course, we're in the city here. Yeah. Uh, heavy use of insecticides about everywhere, also in the countryside, and the climate change. And all except uh, heavy use of insecticides applies to my property as well. And we are all familiar with the insects we don't like. I'm not particularly frightened of spiders, but many people are. And while they are not insects, but arachnids, they survive by eating insects and they resemble their prey in many ways. They're the same size more or less, and they are at home, both indoors and out. And as a child, my mother taught me when I was two or three, which insects uh, were, and including spiders, in that general category, uh, were harmful or not? Um, and uh, she taught me how to recognize and uh, to recognize and to avoid black widow spiders, in particular. Of course, I was born in New Mexico, where black spider, uh, black widow spiders, were very prevalent. And so she taught me what their habits are and what their tough and chaotic webs look and feel like. And I've managed to avoid black widows for 90 years. Uh, I was once bitten by a brown spider of medium size who, while I was weeding a flower patch in my yard in Rochester, New York, hopped on my shoe and then rushed up my pants leg. And I suspect that it thought that it was finding a dark, safe place to hide. But no, when I moved my leg, the cloth squeezed the spider and it bit me in the shin. I shook it out and off, but too late. The bite festered and wouldn't heal. And finally, a dime-sized plug of flesh simply rotted out. And I have a depressed scar there on my shin to mark the spot to this day. Wow. I think it might have been a brown recluse, but I didn't get generally ill from the bite. It was uh, very localized, so I don't know. In any case, other than that, as a child, I would play with tarantula. and this was back in uh, Alamogordo, New Mexico. Uh, that appeared from time to time in the uh, vacant lot next to my grandmother's house. And uh, they averaged four to five inches across. They were big. And they were fun (laughs) for a child. (laughs) A child who was not afraid of them. Uh, They were fuzzy with a tan, round body. And I used a four- or five-foot stick uh, to torment them. I would poke (laughs) at them, but not to hurt them much but to disturb them, of course. And they would jump at the stick and bite it. And luckily, I was never bitten. And my mother convinced me when she found out that the game was not worth the risk because they could jump quite a long way, up up to four feet. Wow. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. So I was lucky to have a mother who had loved her botany and biology classes in college. (laughs) and continued to keep up with any literature about plants, animals, or insects, including spiders, of course. She was totally unafraid of insects and taught me much from the very beginning. While we were in Arkansas, during my high school years, we lived on a farm, which we turned into a ranch. And oddly enough, the cows wouldn't come home when milking time in the afternoon came around which was around 5 o'clock after I had walked the eighth of a mile from the school bus stop, I'd uh, then go out to find the cows and drive them back for milking. They could be just about anywhere over the 364 acres of our farm and woodland, and I often had to travel through brush and forest. I would usually come back, or very often come back, not only load, uh, with the cows, but also loaded with ticks. Wow! And they are arachnids, I believe. Then, uh, so they are a spe- species of uh, blood suckers, and I think all arachnids are suckers of uh, of the juices of the prey, and the juice happens to be blood with ticks. And the number of ticks uh, varied with the seasons. Um, And I would, if if it was the fall season and and the baby ticks uh, were out, I would probably have hundreds, if not thousands of them crawling around uh, on my clothes and on my body. Oh, my God. Yeah. And I would ditch my clothes and fill the bathtub with water uh, with an added cup of chlorine and submerge myself they were very sensitive to chlorine they would detach themselves and go down the drain with the water they were apparently unable to uh, reattach as the water drained off so uh, I could come out with, with clean with no ticks at all And then I would uh, drape the clothes on a fence uh, and let the sun uh, do a job on those clothes and then I would put them in the washing machine uh, so that, that took care, and of course I was bitten many, many times by ticks, but in those days, Lyme's disease and other diseases, uh, tick-borne, uh, were unknown, and I was never ill in any way from a tick bite, but the itching bump they left, very similar to mosquito bites, was, was a bother, of course. Chiggers are another arachnid that's tiny and burrows into the skin. And they were fortunately not a problem in Arkansas back then. Uh, And uh, I believe they may be arachnids, and I'm pretty sure they are also arachnids. Though I haven't looked them up to know for sure. So far, I've talked about uh, pests to humankind, and I've left out cockroaches uh, that never seem to bother uh, bother us very much in any of the places where uh, we ha- that my family or I have lived. But there are beneficial insects, many, very beneficial to the point that we can't do without them, and I'll talk about them now. They fall into three main categories. Pollinators Which are the most Important of all Then there are the Predators um, Usually predation uh, Occurs on other Insects and the Parasitizers that lay Their eggs inside Sometimes inside the Bodies of living uh, Insects and I will Talk about the first Two categories in some Detail and have chosen Three examples bees ladybugs and praying mantises um the scientific name is mantids um mantis by the way is greek for priest oh (laughs) because uh, they fold their four legs um as if they were praying and uh, so they resemble uh, a creature praying and therefore a priest uh, and this is uh, this has been so for centuries that they were called praying mantises. Uh, first of all, I'm going to talk about bees, and my material and my material comes mainly from Wikipedia and other scientific publications. And the bees' body uh, is, and I'm going to be pretty scientific here and give you some, in, I hope, interesting information. Uh, Its body is divided into three parts, a head with two antennae and a thorax and six legs on the thorax and an abdomen. All bees have branched hairs somewhere on their bodies and two pairs of wings. Only female bees have stingers, which I didn't know. Yeah. And the stingers are modified ovipositors In other words, egg-laying organs uh, Originally used to to lay eggs But now uh, modified to to be defense organisms Um, And many bees have uh, black and yellow coloration But many do not There are some in a variety of colors That includes green, blue, red, or black some are striped, and some even have metallic sheen. And they range in size from large carpenter bees and bumblebees to tiny menema bees, which are less than two millimeters long. And that is very small. Right. Oh, my gosh. There are two, two, 20,000 bee species worldwide, including the honeybee, which originated in Eurasia and has been imported around the globe as a domesticated species. Wild bees live on every continent except Antarctica. And, of course, that's mostly ice, or was before we started uh, melting uh, (laughs) our ice caps with global warming. In North America, there are approximately 4,000 native bee species occupying uh, systems from forests to deserts to grasslands. And they feed exclusively on sugary nectar and protein-rich pollen from flowering plants. They're not they're unlike the carnivorous wasps, but they um, evolved from carnivorous wasps, they tell me. And the bees perform the critical act of pollination, uh, pollination as they forage. As a bee enters a flower to feed on the nectar and gather pollen, some of the pollen sticks to the bee's body, and when the bee flies on, it uh, deposits some of that pollen on the next flower it visits, which results in fertilization, allowing the plant to reproduce and to generate the fruits and seeds so many other wildlife species rely on as food source. In fact, bees pollinate a staggering 80% of all flowering plants, including approximately 75% of the fruits, nuts, and vegetables grown in the United States, which is precisely why they are indispensable, because without bees pollinating these plants, free for nothing, until they made an industry of shipping bees around in trucks, um, uh, without bees, we would have uh, 80% less food So most fruits, um, corn for instance, um, milo maize I mean, uh, uh, everything, we, everything practically that we eat in the way of vegetables Depends on bees to pollinate and although female bees can, this, now we shift to back to the female bee stinging. And although they can sting, they only do so when threatened, or think they are. Honey bees with hives filled with honey and larvae that need protecting are generally more aggressive, of course, uh, and like to sting when disturbed. Than uh, than solitary native bees uh, do, so you hardly ever get injured by a, a, a native bee. As bees forage, they perform. As, uh, okay. Um, so, though all female bees can sing, so um, uh, okay, I'm I'm uh, I'm re- re-reading. I skipped back, so I'm re reading. Okay. Uh, I will skip forward. No problem. Bees begin life as eggs which hatch into larvae that feed and pupate and eventually emerge in adult form where they begin visit, visiting flowers to feed and gather nectar and pollen. And unlike the hive-forming domesticated honeybee or wild, humble bee species, most bees are solitary nesters. They don't form hides or create honey, or live in communal lifestyle. Instead, they lay their eggs in a series of tiny chambers in tunnels in the ground, in hollow plant stems, or in decaying wood. Unlike hive-forming bees, which collectively care for their young, female um, for their young female solitary bees. Uh, Uh, while young uh, female solitary bees provision their eggs with a ball of nectar and pollen and leave them to grow on their own uh, without parental care. Some species don't build nests at all, and these are cuckoo cuckoo bees that lay their eggs in nests built by other species. Cuckoo bees will sometimes kill the host species' larvae to ensure that their own eggs have enough food to grow to adulthood. And now we shift from honeybees to bumblebees. Bumblebees can live for a year and workers for only a month because they work literally work themselves to death. Solitary bees also live for about a year, with the majority of that time spent developing in their nesting chamber where they hatch, pupate, and <coughs> often overwinter. Their adult lives, during which they are active, last um, uh, last approximately three to eight weeks, and females tend to live a bit longer as they need to build a a nest and lay eggs. So both domesticated honeybees and many native species are in decline. Uh, In fact, some species, such as the once common rusty-patched bumblebee, and this is really sad that we are losing this bumblebee, are now uh, endangered in the U.S. And potential causes, as I have already said, include habitat destruction, disease, agricultural and lawn, garden, and practice, uh, which is either the cultivation, uh, so if it's a native bee, it would be digging up their nests in the ground, um, and, and, of course, mainly the use of pesticides. Um, so uh, invasive species also cause the death of, of a native uh, species, and that extends beyond the insect kingdom to uh, fish and uh, uh, other uh, water-dwelling creatures that are damaged by invasive species. And, of course, climate change uh, as uh, happened last summer when I think uh, most uh, most species that depended on plants last summer uh, died of starvation because the uh, the plants uh, the uh, flowers were not blooming because of the heat so pollinators native uh, native bees and domestic are critical to the survival of North America's plants um, and wildlife for the native bees and people for the domesticated ones um, so um, we are doing our best at least par- partly the National Wildlife Federation is one that is trying to support um, uh, support these bees and um, inform people about, uh, about their habits which is what I'm doing right now and then we pass on to those who are predators of, uh, of species of insects that are not welcome. And ladybugs, for instance, because ladybug, picked them because we are familiar with them. We've all seen them, I think. And we've all been pleased by them, uh, and for good reason. There are 5,000 different species of ladybugs in the world. And three uh, of the most beloved are known uh, as lady, uh, lady beetles or lady bird beetles. And they come in uh, different colors and patterns. But the most familiar to us here in this country uh, are the seven spotted ladybugs with a shiny red and black body. Um, very much like the, uh, the little uh, German car that was named for them in, uh, when it first came out, uh, the Volkswagen <laughs> And uh, they are considered good luck. And de- but despite, despite their name, which is delightful and appearance, uh, they are ferocious predators. And before they get their bright red colors, they start out uh, start their life out as larvae. Uh, and cruise around on plants and feast on aphids, and aphids, of course, are killers of our plants, particularly uh, plants like pea vines and uh, tomato plants and things like that. Uh, and a ladybug uh, larva can eat up to forty aphids an hour, uh, and so they over over a lifetime they they devour about five thousand aphids. Mm. Wow And their color is for a good reason It's not just to please us humans (laughs) Their markings tell predators Eat something else I taste terrible (laughs) (laughs) Uh, When they're threatened The bugs uh, also secrete An oily, oily foul tasting fluid From joints in their legs they may also play dead, and I've had that happen at many times when I try to pick one up. Birds are ladybugs' main predators, but they also fall victim to frogs and wasps and spiders and dragonflies. Uh, they lay their eggs in clustered rows on the underside of a leaf, usually where aphids have gathered. <laughs> the larvae, which vary in shape and color, are... Uh, Uh, Based on uh, species Emerge within a few days The seven spotted ladybug larva uh, Is long, black And spiky looking With orange or yellow spots Some say they look like tiny alligators The larvae grow quickly And shed their skin uh, Several times And when they reach full size They attach to a leaf By their tail And a pupa is formed so this case-like uh, formation within a week or two the pupa becomes an adult ladybug they're most active from spring until fall when the weather turns cold they look for a warm place to hibernate such as in rotting logs or under rocks or even inside houses uh, and in Rochester in particular they uh, would congregate in uh, in my windows oh. uh, they somehow would get under this or behind or inside the screen, and there they would stay until they could creep somehow into the house. And I had ne- I never noticed them when they got into the house, however, but I did see them uh, in the windows before they managed either uh, to to get into the house or else tied off. And so. Um, hibernating colonies can contain thousands of ladybugs, and that would happen in rotting logs or somewhere like that. And the name ladybug was coined by European farmers who prayed to the Virgin Mary when pests began eating their crops. And after ladybugs came and wiped out the invading insects, the farmers named them Beetle of Our Lady. Wow. Wow! This eventually was shortened to Lady Beetle and Ladybug, and NASA even sent a few ladybugs into space with aphids to see how the aphids would escape in, uh, to see how aphids and ladybugs obviously would escape in zero gravity, how aphids could escape in zero gravity, how how the uh, ladybugs would survive, and now we pass on to praying mantises. And they are interesting creatures. They have large triangular heads with a beak-like snout and mandibles. And mandibles are jaws that open and close from side to side. They have two bulbous compound eyes, three small, simple eyes, and a pair of antennae. The articulation of the neck is also remarkably flexible, And some species can rotate their heads nearly 180 degrees, and I've seen them do it. The mantis thorax uh, consists of three parts. There's the prothorax, a mesothorax, which means middle thorax, and a metathorax, which is the one in the back. And the prothorax is also flexible. So, it allows for a wide range of movement, uh, movements of the head and forelimbs while the remainder of the body remains more or less still. They're also unique uh, <clears throat> in that they have tympanate hearing uh, with two and tympani tim, timpan, are drums, of course, uh, and the, that word is actually fairly familiar. Um, and uh, hang on, my cat just stepped on my, uh, <laughs> on my computer, so yeah. uh, knocked it completely off. Yeah. Ah. Okay, so, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. excuse me, we'll have to. are also unique uh, in that they have tympanate hearing, uh, so that's two eardrums in an auditory, auditory chamber. Uh, most mantises can only hear ultrasound. Doc, are you there? Mantises have two spiked, grasping forelegs, which are called raptorial legs. And raptor, as most people know, means hunter, in which prey items are caught and held securely. They can be loosely categorized as being long-winged, short-winged, or vestigial-winged, or wingless. So they come in all varieties. If not wingless, a mantis has two sets of wings. The outer wings, which are usually uh, leathery, and they function as camouflage and as a shield for the hind wings, which are clear and more delicate. And the abdomen uh, of the uh, the mantis tends to be slimmer in males than in females, which is obviously because females are the ones that gestate and harbor eggs up to a point until they are laid. Now, their vision is most interesting. The mantises have stereo vision. They locate their prey by sight. And their compound eyes contain up to ten thousand segments. A small area at the front has greater visual acuity than the rest of the eye, and can produce the high resolution necessary to examine potential prey. The peripheral uh, segments are concerned with perceiving motion. When a moving object is noticed, the head is rapidly rotated. I've watched this so. I can just picture it. The head is rapidly rotated to bring the object into the visual field and focus. Further motions of the prey are then tracked by movements of the mantis's head so as to keep the image centered on the, fo- on the, uh, on, uh, on the focal area. Um, and uh, this is creepy in a way, how they watch their prey approach and move uh, and their heads move in sync with the, uh, with the potential meal as it approaches them all unknowing. And the eyes are widely spaced and laterally situated, as this uh, text tells me, which, uh, which enables a, uh, uh, a wide binocular field of vision very similar to our own, and uh, only much more precise, uh, and precise stereoscopic vision at close range the dark spot which looks like a pupil on each eye that moves as it rotates its head is called a pseudo pupil uh, and it because because it, it occurs because the uh, segments uh, that are viewed head on absorb the, in, the the light while those to the side reflect the light and as their hunting relies on vision, mantises are prim- primarily day, day hunters. Many species, however, fly at night, and then they may be attracted to artificial lights, which could be their undoing. They have good night vision. And it's a, uh, night flight is particularly important to males who are locating their less mobile female by detecting their pheromones, and they, uh, flying at night exposes them to fewer bird predators. However, uh, the, the bats become a, a, a real menace to them at, at night. But they also have an auditory uh, organ. So, in other words, an, an ear. Their ear helps them avoid the bats by detecting their echo-echolocation calls and they respond evasively. So they are really uh, incredibly beautifully uh, evolved. And uh, as far as their diet and hunting, mantises are generally predators of insects, other insects. The majority of them ambush their prey Um, and they only feed upon live prey within their reach. They will not eat anything that's already dead. They either camouflage themselves and remain stationary waiting for prey to approach, or they stalk their prey with slow, stealthy movements, which I have observed myself. They're really uncanny. The larger mantises sometimes eat smaller individuals of their own species, as well as small vertebrates, and these are very large mantises, so maybe six inches long or so. Uh, They will also eat uh, lizards, frogs, fish and particularly small birds. And most of them stalk uh, prey if it strays close enough, and they will go further when they're particularly hungry. Once within reach, uh, mantises strike rapidly to grasp the prey with their spiked raptorial forelegs. Uh, Some ground and bark species pursue their prey in a more active way, Members of a few, uh, such as ground mantises, run over dry ground seeking prey, much like tiger beetles do. And so that is my, uh, those are my three (laughs) insects that I wanted to talk about. Bees in particular, because they are so critical for our survival as a species, as human beings. And we don't se- seem to understand that as we spray our insecticide far and wide uh, indiscriminately um, and uh, fill our houses with, with insecticide, uh, thinking that we might have a uh, cockroach here and there. Um, here in Texas, I have had a few what, what tex- Texans call water bugs come, come up the drains and water bugs can be up to two inches long, and so uh, they're not like the uh, so-called German cockroaches, which are are tiny by comparison, but much less uh, noxious. You can get rid of of a water bug simply by picking it up and tossing it out, (laughs) which is what I have done. But uh, what we are now doing is there is an industry uh, which raises honeybees and then carries them around in trucks and turns them loose in orchards and, uh, and fields and other places uh, to pollinate the plants there. And, of course, they charge a heavy C for doing so. But if we continue to kill off all the native species of bees um, with our insecticides... In general, uh, not caring and not knowing um, well be dependent entirely on these uh, these businesses, which uh, which are so very expensive. And thank God for them, because at least that way we are continuing to have our fruit and our vegetables.
0: Mm. Doc, you know, it's uh, I, I had mentioned this is all very fascinating, but I had mentioned before. Off mic, the uh, <clears throat> that the honeybee, and let me see, make sure I got this right. Uh, the honeybee was named. Well, actually, that bees have been named the most important living being on our planet by by many scientists, including Time Magazine, uh, mm-hmm. made made that statement. So uh, again, let me repeat. Uh, bees have recently been named. I'm I'm just reading this uh, off of a. Um, uh, well, a beekeeping site actually, recently named the most important living being on our planet according to scientists, and that uh, you know it's you know it's essential for us essential for us to to protect them. Without bees, without bees, there's no pollination. Uh, you know, I, as you pointed out, eighty percent, which is a shockingly high number, but eighty percent. Of the pollination done in the world is done by bees. So without yeah. pollination, we don't have, we don't have uh, the um, the floral uh, <coughs> content that we need uh, to to breed and uh, to uh, breathe and to do every just about everything else. Uh, so if the honeybee or the the bee just the bee uh, goes extinct, um, we, we could uh, we could soon follow not too far after that.
1: Right, uh, uh, right. I mean, uh, people don't realize, <laughs> uh, and th- that was one reason why I chose the topic and, of uh, insects in the first place. Um, the uh, the other ones that I mention are doing away with, uh, with noxious insects that are harmful, uh, mainly harmful to plants. Uh, the uh, uh, the ladybug, of course, are try are. Uh, preserving the plants that produce peas and tomatoes and beans and, and other things like that in the garden. So protecting uh, our, our food sources that way. <laughs> but uh, that's already when the plant is grown. And in order for the plant to germinate and start growing, a bee is absolutely necessary. And we cannot do without them. Uh, so uh, I, I worry about Uh, all our native bees uh, going extinct because of our carelessness and ignorance and um, not just carelessness but even uh, 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 malice sometimes Um, so if all our native species species go extinct then we are dependent on the artificial cultivation of honeybees And captive the captive uh, honeybee that will be trucked around to uh, to do the pollinating, but that should uh, will have to become a huge industry in order to uh, to pollinate the entire uh, country, (laughs) the entire United States, and the entire world for that matter. So we had darn well better become more conscious of. Uh, the importance of of insects altogether, and uh, cut back on insecticides, simply because we don't like to be bitten by mosquitoes. Uh, I I didn't mention ants. Ants can be both beneficial and uh, and uh, bothersome because the uh, uh, sugar ants ants uh, invade picnics, of course, because that's their natural habitat. But they also uh, the smaller ones uh, get into houses, and of course they're really a pest when they do that. Uh, so you know, it, it, the subject of insects is a very broad one, and uh, uh, I just barely touched touched on it. I didn't talk about monarch butterflies either, or which are going extinct uh, because of high habitat loss in Mexico. The uh, the poor people. Who live close to the uh, the mountains where the, the the pine trees grow, that, that where the uh, b- bulk of monarch butterflies hibernate, is being cut down and used for charcoal, which the poor people sell. <laughs> and so it's a competition between habitat for the, for monarchs uh, and the livelihood for the poor people around. Uh, And then, of course, we are killing off the milkweed uh, that they – it's a necessity for them because they only lay their eggs on milkweed. And if you kill off the milkweed in your garden because it's an intrusive flower or plant, um, then you are killing off uh, an opportunity for a monarch butterfly to lay its eggs. And it also feeds on uh, milkweed. Um, and once in Vermont, uh, I was on a, an end-to-end ride, horseback ride, uh, which was a summer occupation up there. Uh, and we rode through one entire field of milkweed. And as far as you could see, it was orange with monarch butterflies that had made their way all the way up there. From Mexico and would go all the way back to Mexico, once they were done to hibernate, and uh, that is remarkable in itself. And of course, they are also pollinators because they will feed on other plants, but their favorite is milkweed. Yeah,
0: amazing. You know, just amazing that butterfly is also a uh, uh, an an unbelievably important um a creature a living a living thing and uh and you know if you think that it starts out as an ugly little ca- caterpillar um we got to teach <laughs> we got to teach our kids uh don't kill those caterpillars because you're killing a, a potential beautiful uh, butterfly that uh, that is very helpful to uh, yeah. society um very important conversation And uh, you know, I've got to, I've got to hand it to you. You know, I I never know what you're going to come at us with, but uh, this is, (laughs) this is absolutely, it's terrific. And you're right on, and it's a crucial, it's a crucial conversation that needs to be had. Yes, yeah, we
1: really need. uh, The government needs to get into this. I'm sure they are already. Yeah. But they need to be more uh, aggressive about it uh, in making. uh, rules and, and regulations about what how, how to use pesticides and <coughs> what pesticides to use, where, and when. And uh, uh, I'm sure that we, we do need pesticides in certain circumstances, but we don't need to spread it uh, indiscriminately over all the country. Uh, so <laughs> that's what we were doing. Um, in World War II, uh, my husband was telling me that they would just dump um. Uh, this, yeah. Uh, a DDT. Yeah. A, a, yeah. They just dump it all over them, <laughs> so they were swimming around in DDT powder. Uh, they did get rid of the lice that yeah. uh, they, they normally would have uh, if they were in foxholes or uh, or in trenches or somewhere. Uh, but it also uh, was detrimental and, uh, to their own health and my husband who died of parkinson's disease thought that it, that the origin of that disease might very well have been the ddt he had to contend with during the war yeah.
0: amazing what what we didn't know <clears throat> uh, calmed so many people and cut our lives short uh, hopefully we're becoming more and more educated on on uh, how to handle uh, certain things certainly you would never you would never uh think of uh, of dumping DDT anywhere near people, but uh, but certainly, uh, and by the way, it's illegal DDT, right? And in, in most uh, most of the United States, I don't think DDT is uh, um, is uh, is legal.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, they found out that it, that it affected birds; that they uh, couldn't lay fertile eggs, and Jeez. so uh, the species of birds were dying out. And uh, they caught it in time to stop it. Yeah. Thank God that was one thing that they did. So DDT is uh, not being used very much anymore. Thank heaven. Yeah.
0: Well, listen, great, great job on all of this, and uh, uh, it's a conversation that will continue as we uh, as we move on. Doc, thank you very much. And you're uh, most welcome. And to everybody out there, we appreciate your attention, and we appreciate you tuning in each and every week. Frank McKay signing off. We'll see you all next time on. The Florence Weinberg Show.